good stuff. I wish the Lord would have given me long hair and talent and I could, I think I'd have been a good rock star, man. I just would have been able to do it, but he didn't. Well, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about arrogance and how it undermines the church. I was struggling a little bit because, you know, I don't know about you, but I, people have called me arrogant before and it always hits me wrong. So I, I, when I was making the title, I thought, boy, I hope that don't hit everybody wrong unless it's in the right way, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, I told you a while back, I said, you know, as a youth pastor, I learned a lot of things because I remember that I used to have a struggle with being jealous of other youth groups and other youth pastors, and we talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. It's just crazy when I think back on it, but that was really where I was at in the Lord. And I remember uh, something else about youth ministry, too. I was thinking about it this morning, especially when I titled this, How Arrogance Undermines the Church. And I've, I've told you that people sometimes just assume I'm arrogant, and maybe there's some truth in that, and I try not to be. I know that I, I am aware that I walk around with a look on my face sometimes that might communicate that I'm arrogant. I'm aware of that. I try not to. I don't know how else to do it. Maybe it's just like, you know, maybe if I just, you know, start doing this or something. I don't know. But I remember we had the youth group one time in Indiana, and we took them to Six Flags in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, we were at the Six Flags theme park. We'd been there all day long. And I remember we were getting ready to leave. And I just happened to see out of the corner of my eye, I saw a mechanical bull. And I thought, now we're talking. Because I'm going to tell you, half of youth ministry, at least the way I understood it in those days, was I was supposed to do something you know, athletic or something like that to impress the kids, you know, all of this stuff. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over there. I'm going to ride that mechanical bull. I've always wanted to take a turn on those things anyway. It looks so easy to me. And so we finally went over there. My wife tried to talk me out of it, I think. I didn't listen to her. It was time to go. But I went over there and I told that guy, I said, I want to ride this mechanical bull. And I know I know I must have had that look on my face because as soon as I got on that, that bull, I mean, he cranked it up. And the first buck, the first buck of that bull, I mean, I came off that bull. I hung on with my legs. I honestly couldn't walk for a couple of days hardly. I don't know if you know that because you have to hang on with your legs, or at least that's what I thought. So I came up off that bull, and my hand was in that stirrup, and I had my thumb pointed down like this underneath the, the, the rope that I was hanging on to. And when I came down, all my weight came down on that thumb and turned it this way. And I thought, something's happened. I didn't know what it was. I just remember thinking, something's happened. I'm just sitting there riding, and I mean, he's just sitting there with a grin on his face because he's got that thing going. And I thought, something's happened to my thumb. Finally, I just let go to see what was going on. And that's when I knew my thumb was dislocated. And so we were walking through the theme park. We had to go to the emergency room, all that stuff like that. And I had little kids following behind me that I didn't even know because I had my hand up like that. And they were like, oh, my goodness, that is so awesome, stuff like that. So, you know, and I, this is probably why the youth ministry sometimes I look back and I think, 
maybe youth ministry across America somehow has failed in a little way because what actually happened was my arrogance put me on that bowl, didn't it? I just thought I was so gifted and could do anything. You know in sports, you lie to yourself, right? Because you have to play with a certain amount of arrogance. And that was my attitude towards the bowl and youth ministry. And I think it's something that we should think about today because most of the church, if we could be honest with ourselves, there's a certain amount of arrogance that's undermining churches all over America today. You have to ask yourself, why it is our prayers seem to be not getting any further than the ceiling. You have to ask yourself what it is that we may not be doing right, even though we all understand we live in a time of grace, but there might be something that is wrong with our hearts that is stopping us from seeing a great move of God in America. I suspect that in our churches today, we have no problem teaching love for ourselves. We have a bigger problem teaching love for Jesus Christ and his people. In fact, you could almost say that very often we come to church and sometimes we're just looking for something to get me as the individual by. In fact, what's happened to most of American Christianity is that it's become more about individualism. And all I can tell you is that if the church is ever going to straighten our nation out, we've got to have ourselves straightened out before the Lord first. You know, we were talking, Brother Roy's talking about what can we do to get outside the walls? Well, I can tell you, we're going to have to be humble before the Lord and recognize our need of his grace in our lives. We have to re re realize who we are as people, as individuals. So I am someone who would be, as I said a minute ago, I would lie to myself and say, you're the greatest basketball player on the court right now, and just somehow I would believe it. I, I know it sounds silly, and I could make a shot. Just silly things like that would help me make a shot. But I was lying to myself because really what it takes is an entire team. And so what would happen sometimes in my arrogance, believe it or not, that when the team lost, I had to struggle taking part in the loss with them because I thought I was so good, right? That's how you undermine a team. And so I wouldn't accept any part of the defeat. I would think it was everybody else's fault. You're all like, man, what in the world did we do letting this guy preach to us, right? But this is what arrogance does. And so if you remember what we were talking about when we started going through 1 Corinthians, what we said, uh, we noticed in some of the introduction that Paul gave, it was something along the lines that the people of the Corinthian church in the first century really thought they were wise and very special. They thought that they were really gifted people. And in fact, what Paul would say to them, he said, you have all you need. You have all of the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is in you. You, plural, you all, right? You all. The Holy Spirit is in you. In fact, last week we talked about how when we come together this group and any other group that comes together in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's why we sing, surely God is with us. Talking about the presence of how God is with his people. He's always with his people, trying to 
help his people, trying to lead his people. But every now and then, his people might find themselves in a place where they just wonder who they are as individuals. Maybe there's a little bit of arrogance that seeps in. And so this passage this morning is talking about how that seeps in. And it comes at the end of how there's a lot of division that would take place in this body of Christ that Paul's talking to. Because remember they were saying there was a group that said, well, I support Paul. And the other group would say, I support Apollos. This is the one that I follow. And then somebody else would say, well, I'm going to support Peter. Someone else would say, well, I only listen to Jesus Christ. There's always a good holy one in there, isn't there? So I listen to Jesus Christ. So there's so much division taking place. And, it's, and I can't help but think there's a, the reason that it actually gets in there is because there's a certain amount of arrogance that's in there. Because when you think about it, I'm just going to get off this here in a second, get into the text. But when you think about what we do and how, un, how ununited, I guess I should say, that the American church seems to be today, I suspect it's because we're appealing to people's sinful natures to get them to come to our church. I suspect it's because we're saying, I'm Apollos and I know more than Paul. Come and see what we have to say. I suspect it might be somewhere in there, and in within that arrogance that we might have, it will attract arrogance from others, and then the next thing we know, we got a kingdom of all of ourselves, don't we? Instead of God's temple, we're building our own. So let's look at our text. And I'm going to read verse, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, verse 1 to 13. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. 
We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are, when we are persecuted, we endure it. That's something to highlight for today, isn't it? When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. It's amazing. So we're actually realizing, as we've been talking about for several weeks now, that there was this divide between those who believed in Apollos' teaching and those who believed in Paul's teaching, and now it seems like Paul's saying something that as the father of that church, the one who planted the church in Corinth, that they are missing the point already. They're missing the point. Let's look at the first thing I want you to see this morning. Arrogance undermines the church because judgment is distorted by self-love. So did you pick up on what Paul said? Remember, he said earlier in chapter 1, I believe, he said, listen, I'm going to present you to be blameless on the day of the Lord. Because Paul's saying that it is important that the church is presented blameless, in other words, innocent, of what's coming into the world when Christ returns, right? And so what Paul's saying then is that he's saying, do not judge. I care not, I care not what you think about me or any human court thinks about me. I only care about what the Lord thinks about me, right? And so those who are humble actually understand that the main thing that you want to make sure is that you are humble before the Lord, you are not being arrogant before the Lord. So he says, listen, judgment seems to be distorted by self-love because those who love themselves more than they love the Lord and love each other and other people what happens is they are, not to, they are not able to understand the motives of those whom they are judging. That's a lot, of, that's like a mouthful I just said. In fact, my mind can't even, or my mouth can't even keep up with my mind right now. But understand what I'm saying. That Paul is being judged right now by those in Corinth because arrogance has seeped into the church. And what's happened, it's created that divide and the next thing you know is they're comparing Paul to Apollos. Now, we can take a look at this. You can look in the book of Acts. You can find any background information you want on Apollos. You're going to learn that Apollos was more, he, had, he was a pretty good silver-tongued person. He was a good speaker, gifted orator. In fact, he was someone that probably the Corinthian church might buy into quicker than they're going to Paul. But what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is, if you're allowing your arrogance to choose between me and Apollos, you've already missed it. Because he goes, we can even go back to, in the book of Matthew, we talked about this in the past too. We talked about how we talk, we say, don't judge or you'll be judged, right? We are all familiar with that passage. But the idea that Jesus was communicating in the book of Matthew was, don't judge because you think you're so much better than everybody. Kind of like when I would be riding the mechanical bull or I might be playing basketball, I would look at somebody and just look and say, well, 
they're not as good as I am. I would think that that's judging. Or maybe we could put it into church context and I would say, look at somebody who's a sinner and I would say, that person isn't as good as I am. That person isn't as special as me, right? But what Jesus was actually saying down below is that he says, listen, but you have to hold people accountable. Remember that? So here's the difference. Those who have self-love for themselves are going to be judgmental. And they're going to make wrong comparisons and they're going to make wrong judgments. But those who have love for God and others, they're the ones who are going to say, I recognize what's going on here. But because I love you, I'm going to guide you to no longer do that. You see the difference. But when arrogance seeps into the ranks of the church, we become judgmental. In fact, I can say that us Wesleyans, traditionally, we've had a problem with this. Because we start, we focus so much on holiness and doing things that appeared to be holy, we were actually doing it with our own abilities, and we were actually saying people aren't as good as us, which then made people want to be away from us. You see that? And it was because we were operating from that self-love idea, from my arrogance. I'm going to move on. But have you ever wondered why people can't agree on anything? It's because people are operating from two different value systems. It's very likely people are either operating from the value system that says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, or they're going to operate from a selfish perspective with only love for themselves and no regard for anyone else. And we've learned something going through 1 Corinthians. It's actually seeped into the Corinthian church. This worldliness. Remember the wisdom of the world. And they think they're so special. So arrogance will undermine and knock the legs out from under the church that is out to give grace to others. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. Arrogance undermines the church because knowledge wins over grace. So everybody's on Facebook, and I fear that we're going to be in another shutdown or something. I, I hope to the Lord we are not. But you never know. We never know what tomorrow holds, right? <clears throat> so, and then I cough, and I'm scared you all might think I have something now. Um, so anyway, but here's the thing. Everybody's on Facebook, aren't they? And so all of these illustrations are easily traced into Facebook because we all learn our theology from Facebook anymore. We certainly think that we find somebody who's a gifted orator or a gifted communicator, somebody that we think just really sounds intelligent, and we start to listen to them. Now, if you're like me, I follow the people that have a smart mouth, I think, more than anything. But I'm just throwing that in there free of charge. But we follow these people that we think have all of this stuff figured out. And so did you hear what Paul said to them? He said, listen, you know what? You need to learn the importance of not going beyond what is written. So what you have with the Pharisees, in fact, who were so intelligent with God's word, what they would do is they would look with all the knowledge that they had, right? 
with all that they knew about Jesus, or I should say Yahweh at that point, with all that they knew about Yahweh, they were actually looking for loopholes in God's law so that they could sin. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And I'm going to remind you that as we've been going through this, one of the principles that I've been saying to you in the theme of this book is why not give up your rights? Why not rather be wronged for the sake of Jesus Christ? And so they were so arrogant that they only had love for themselves and they didn't care about whether or not people were learning to follow the law of God. They were only looking for a way for them to appear to follow the law of God and still commit the sin that they wanted to commit because the love that they had was only for themselves. Arrogance was actually undermining that sect. So Paul is letting people know, don't go beyond what is written. He's saying this because when we go beyond what is written, it is because we like to impress our people that listen to us with our knowledge. And what happens, we start pulling from other sources other than God's word, and we start to explain away as we look for those loopholes in God's word so that we could change doctrine that's been set for a couple thousand years. Have you noticed this on Facebook? People like to argue all of these different points, and they start to embrace this worldliness that's actually seeping into the church. Because I guarantee you, somebody who is impressed with how puffed up they've gotten with the knowledge that they have is actually thinking they're so smart that they're doing away with the grace that God gives to everyone, and they think that they've been able to explain why we can actually do what we want to do. This is how knowledge wins over grace. This stuff has happened historically. I can go back and show you there are someone named St. Teresa. She was someone who was full of the Spirit of God, had to go before the Pope in the medieval church because the Pope was actually withholding the Word of God from people, and he had all the knowledge, and he was dictating what was right and wrong. It was almost like David and Nathan, the prophet Nathan, when he came to David and said, you're the man, David, you're the one who's committed all this sin, she was being used by God to sway them back to the grace aspect of the church because knowledge was winning over grace. If you're putting all of your stock in reading everything and learning everything just for the sake of being able to find a way to commit the sin that you want, that's arrogance. And it's undermining the church. I'm just going to say this. I'm getting off this. I can remember several years ago, there was a pastor that would say stuff about it's okay to drink beer, and I'm not running beer drinkers down, all that stuff, but what I'm saying is that sometimes we abstain from that, and the reason we abstain from that is because we love our neighbors, and we don't want them to stumble and get into something that will cause them to sin even more. We're not saying it's a sin to drink or anything. I'm not getting into that. But we abstain because remember the principle is why not rather be wronged or do without your rights for the sake of Jesus Christ. So there was a pastor who was communicating to people on a regular basis that it's, it's okay to drink. And the thing that he was saying was the reason it's okay to drink was because people are gluttons. There are pastors who are gluttons. 
See, what was happening there was in that arrogance to be able to have the loophole found so that the person could actually drink because they want to drink. What was happening was the knowledge that he had was actually throwing everybody under the bus. And grace was being taken from us. Nobody took into consideration that maybe gluttony is a response to not having access to healthy food. Maybe it's a thyroid issue. So you can't judge a book by its cover. Remember what we just said in the previous point. Our judgment gets distorted. So when we're just operating from a puffed up knowledge perspective, you better believe when we're just simply trying to explain away things so we can do what we really want, grace is being thrown under the bus. Now here's the thing. Without grace... The church doesn't operate rather well, does it? We just don't. I'm going to get moving, but we always say, for those who are coming in off the street, they should have a taste of heaven when they are among us because we are God's temple, where grace is always over knowledge, not the other way around. Look at the last thing I want you to see, which is the biggest point, and especially for what Paul is saying. It's this. Arrogance undermines the church because suffering for Christ is unacceptable. Did y'all pick up on that? You know, because I think I'm so special, right? I shouldn't have to suffer like other people do. Because I'm so wise, and this is the theme that's been going on in 1 Corinthians, because I'm so wise, I shouldn't have to suffer. I'm too smart to put myself into a situation that causes me to suffer. But yet you heard what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. He said, you have started to live your life as if you're a king or a queen. You are reigning, like it's like you're reigning right now, while we who are taking the gospel to other people are actually doing without water, we're doing without food, and we're being called scum of the earth. We're homeless. That's quite a contrast. Because the Corinthian church was the church that was founded by the Apostle Paul, who when they believed that Jesus Christ was the one that they should put their hope and faith in, They believed it from a man who is now seen as beneath them because they've actually thrown him under the bus because he comes to them working with his hands. And not only is he working with his hands, but he's actually starving and doesn't have enough to drink. This is the guy who shared the love of Christ with them that they bought into it. But you know what was happening And we've already been alerted to this in the last couple chapters because they thought they were so special. They were actually using their faith in Jesus Christ, or I should say the religion of Christianity, to establish themselves within the community politically. Not only politically, but also in getting jobs, which is interesting. You know that I've had people, when I worked out in the gym, before I tore my shoulder up, 
which arrogance did that, by the way. Um, but before I did that, I was working out with someone, and we would, I'm talking about Jesus all the time. Y'all see me when I'm on a pre-workout shake talking about Jesus. Gets real then and very loud. I don't, I'm not very self-aware anymore. And so we talk about the Lord, and one of the things that he said to me after a while was this. I think I should be coming to your church, but I can't. And I said, why? He said, because I think it's better for my career if I go to this other church. That's quite a statement. You know, suffering and doing without what you think you have coming to you, right, Doing without things, this is where abstaining comes from too, right? Doing without things is how God's kingdom is established in breaking into this world. Arrogance is going to undermine the work of the church every single time. Suffering to the apostles was actually a gift from God. Suffering to the apostles who were thrown in jail in the book of Acts and beaten, when they were released, the apostles would come out and say, Praise the Lord. We were found worthy to suffer on behalf of Jesus like Jesus. So Paul is telling the church on a regular basis, he says, be imitators of me as it, because he is one who imitates Christ in the suffering. Remember what I said at the start of this? Have you ever wondered why the American church seems so powerless in the face of so much sin that's in our country today? I think it's because of the arrogance that lies deep within us of that self-love that we have for ourselves that causes us to actually disconnect from that because we don't want to suffer because suffering is unacceptable to that person who is operating from the position of arrogance. We don't want to suffer to spread the gospel to others. We're afraid we'll lose our job and we're afraid that maybe we'll lose our status in the community. But did you hear what Paul said? I care very little what you all think of me. Because I have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. You know, this morning... I might have lost you when I said something, when I just even used the term arrogance, right? To me, if I was out in the pew listening to me or someone talk like this, I would be like, Pfft. right? I'm like, I'm not listening to that. But if I lost you this morning because of that, if that's something that sounded offensive, then it could be that maybe we need to die to ourselves, 
It could be that even though we believe in Jesus Christ, our carnal fleshly nature is starting to take over again. And we might need to put that to death because I don't know about you, but I'm not going to allow myself to have so much self-love for me that I believe that I can stand before the Lord because I'm so good. I need God's grace. I need to remind myself that I am nobody important in God's kingdom. Just like Paul said, all Apollos does and all I do is we plant seed and water it. We do nothing. We just serve the Lord, right? He's the one that makes it grow. I am nothing, and I recognize that you're everything, Lord. What if we all got back to that instead of saying, I'm going to look for someone to listen to who speaks what I already believe. Or instead of saying, I'm going to look for a church that offers what I need. What if we started to say, I'm going to take what God has given me and present it to this body so that God can be glorified? What if I put that aside and I said, I no longer am in love with myself, but I'm in love with God and his people? Boom. That prayer just might get a little higher than the ceiling, won't it? What if I said, I'm no longer going to rely upon the knowledge that I have about Jesus or about worldly things, all of these different things. I'm no longer going to allow the motive that lies within me deep, and I'm not going to allow it to desire me to do those things that may be wrong, those things that I should actually abstain from. What if I said, I'm going to go ahead and crucify that within me that sometimes causes me to follow my heart instead of God's heart. See, what I'm doing is I'm going to be putting to death the arrogance that dwells within me. I'm going to say no more to that. Holy Spirit, you live in me. Jesus, you live in me. If we could do that, I'm going to say that we'll start seeing stuff happen. What if we quit saying stuff like, these types of sins are not really wrong, but we just, we just need to accept them. What if we stopped that and we started saying, you know what, we need to get back to what is written. The church gets healthier. We continue to get healthier. What if I'm actually willing to suffer for that? What if I'm actually willing to say, so what if they let me go for talking about Jesus Christ? So what if talking about Jesus Christ keeps me from getting a promotion? So what if people don't like me because I'm talking about Jesus Christ? You know what I think? I'm going to find myself in Paul's church instead of the Corinthian church when I do that. I don't know where you are. But here's the thing, the American church right now, and maybe we're part of the problem, but it's a problem completely across the board right now. I don't know how this country can get so messed up when we have so much information about Jesus Christ at our fingertips. I don't know how we can get so messed up unless 
It's because arrogance is undermining God's ability to work through the church itself. You realize we're really talking about idolatry. Those who have self-love are steeped in idolatry. Isn't it so much easier to preach against drinking and smoking than it is to talk about that stuff? Drinking and smoking, you know what that does? It helps me to judge somebody and look down on them. But when I'm talking about this, this cuts to the bone of each one of us because that's who we are. People in need of God's grace. So right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you're at, but if you need to have help from the Lord this morning, if you need to admit that you've got too much self-love for yourself this morning, and it causes you to do the things as you see fit instead of how he sees fit, this right now is a moment that you can recognize that and confess it to him and ask him to help you put that to death. We've got to start dying to ourselves so that we can live. If you're someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ this morning and you want to receive him,